I want to start today by asking you to see if you can recall the most memorable sermon that you've ever heard. What sermon made the most impact on you? Who preached it? Where were you? And why was the sermon so impactful? I'm hoping that you can recall a sermon that was memorable for all the right reasons. As we know, sometimes sermons are memorable for the wrong reasons. The story is told of the vicar of Ashby in Leicestershire, who was so short that he needed a stool to stand on when he preached in the pulpit. One Sunday, when he was preaching on the text from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 16, In a little while you shall see me no more, as he got the sermon underway, the stool collapsed and he disappeared from view. Now, the priest had a reputation for always being able to find the perfect Bible verse to fit any occasion. One Sunday, while he was in the middle of preaching, he accidentally swallowed a fly. And as he recovered, he cited the text from Matthew 25, verse 35. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. One of the most memorable sermons that uh, I have ever given took place here at Oak Tree. Uh, at a 9am service, and some of you uh, here today uh, heard it. It was a number of years ago, and the vicar of the parish, Mark Jury, uh, the then vicar of the parish, Mark Jury, was on leave. And so Rowan had been deacon, so he was running the nine o'clock service, but he hadn't been priested yet, so I was there to, uh, to run communion. So Mark had lined up a, a speaker from the organisation Celebrate Messiah to speak at both services, but There'd been a breakdown in communication, so the person speaking only thought they were preaching at the 10.30 service, not the 9 o'clock. So the 9 o'clock service got underway, and there was no sign of the preacher. Rowan was very quick to point out that he was the deacon and I was the priest, so therefore it was clearly my responsibility to come up with a sermon. I can still recall finding it rather difficult to concentrate on what was going on in the service as I desperately tried to think about what on earth I could say. As it happened, I think the whole that happened in the week of Ash Wednesday. So I'd done an Ash Wednesday reflection at school. So I tried to sort of remember that. And when it came to the sermon, I did my best to recall what I had said. When I preach, I really like to be well prepared. And so having to speak off the cuff was a rather disconcerting experience. I remember that um, you were all very supportive and understanding of the situation and uh, yeah, we've made some very, uh, yeah, we're very helpful about that. But I wasn't sure what to make of the comment that I got from one parishioner who reckoned that that sermon was the best sermon they'd ever heard me preach. Another interesting question to reflect on this morning is, what is the high point of the service for you? What is the moment where you, in the service, you feel really connected to God? For some, it's where we share communion. For others, it's when we hear the sermon. And for others, it's when we sing the hymns that are involved in the worship. It's making a very big generalisation, but uh, often if you're sort of more out of a Catholic tradition, often the Mass or Communion can be the high point. For Evangelicals, traditionally it's been the Sermon. Uh, for Charismatics, it's all about the worship. And for Anglicans, it's all about the coffee after the service. And I should point out, of course, that you don't have to have a high point of the service. Um, one of the great things about being Anglicans is uh, we're sort of a broad church and include everybody and we occupy the middle ground. And so for me, sometimes uh, I the thing that I get the most out of a service is sharing communion. Sometimes it is 
uh, singing the hymns or being involved in the worship, and sometimes it is the sermon. God speaks to me through all of these things at various times. But I know that I would find it difficult to attend a church where the preaching wasn't any good. I do appreciate a well-prepared sermon. And that's what you always get here at Oak Tree, except, of course, that Sunday when the preacher didn't turn up. So today we are going to reflect a little bit on sermons. And we're doing this because we've arrived at the last uh, of our series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to see how Jesus brings it all home and what he might be expecting of us in response to this great sermon. Sermons are not just supposed to be informative, rather they seek to be transformative. A sermon doesn't just want to give you a whole lot of information, but rather it extends an invitation for you to leave the church a better person than when you came in. This is certainly the case with the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is clearly intending for it to change lives. So in this final section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is not providing any new teaching, but rather he uses a series of different images to urge his hearers to live out the teaching that he's already given earlier on in the sermon. And in this first section, Jesus invites his listeners to reflect on how you measure if a teacher is a good teacher or not. Jesus' response to this is that the measure of a teacher is the nature of the fruit that they produce. If they produce good fruit, then they're a good teacher, but a bad teacher will produce bad fruit. So I've been a teacher for more than 20 years, and I've done a lot of reflecting on what makes for a good teacher. It's tempting to simply assess a teacher by the metric of the student's results. I taught a VCE subject for 10 years, and every year the quality of my teaching could be measured on my year 12 results. But if you think back to who the best teacher was that you can recall from your time at school, it may not have been the one that necessarily got you the best results. It might have been the most inspiring teacher that you had, or the teacher that you remember being the most caring, or perhaps it was the teacher who had the biggest influence on the the course of your life. In a sense, the fruit of a teacher can be seen uh, in the life that you've led leaving school, the impact of a teacher. So how do you measure the success of a parish then? Are the finances in good order? Buildings well-maintained? Everyone got a name tag on? Are there Tim Tams at morning tea? How big the offertory is? How many people are there on a Sunday? For Jesus, the measure of the worth of a church comes from the lives of the congregation. Are the people being positively transformed and impacted by being part of the church? In other words, it comes down to the fruit. I think I'm right in saying that Penny and I have been attending this church uh, longer than many people, and we'd testify that the fruit here is really good. Godly people gathering together to encourage and support one another in their journey of faith. As we know, in parish life, people come and people go. But if you stay in this parish for a season, then generally you'll find yourself growing in your faith. The first section of this passage reminds us that actions speak louder than words. Being good fruit involves living out the teachings of Jesus. 
If we can be said to be good fruit, then we're good not because of what we say, but because of what we do. And this idea is further developed in the next section, looking at who will get into heaven. Jesus warns in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus goes on to say that entering the kingdom of heaven is not about if you can prophesy or cast out demons or do deeds of power. The crucial issue for Jesus is, are you doing the will of the Father? Again, note the emphasis on action. Not are you saying the right things, but are you doing the right things? Well, a couple of weeks after hearing a sermon uh, preaching against deceitfulness, a man wrote the following letter to the tax department. Dear Sir, since I have heard heard a sermon from my vicar, I've been unable to sleep, knowing that I've been cheating on my income tax for many years. Please find a check-in closed for $5,000. And if I still can't sleep, I'll send the rest. Well, the next section of the reading presents us with with an image of two builders building houses. Two similar houses face the same storm. However, after the storm has passed, only one house is left standing. The difference? The choice of foundation. This is a parable that I often talk about in class. In fact, I was talking about it just yesterday. The students get the idea, or Friday, sorry, for those of you who are watching at home. The students get the idea of needing a strong foundation for their life. Their parents are spending a lot of money to send them to a great school with the hope that by doing so, they'll get a really strong foundation that'll set them up for the rest of their life. But you miss the point of the parable if you think it's just about having a strong foundation for your life. The parable clearly specifies what constitutes a strong foundation. Building your life on the words and actions of Jesus. Verse 26, Jesus gives us a warning. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who has built his house on sand. A great fall is coming to those who are just hearers and not doers. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard told a parable about a group of ducks. Every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their homes and waddle down the road to church. They waddle into their respective pews, sing their duck hymns, and then hear a sermon from the duck minister. The duck minister regularly reminds the duck parishioners that God has given them wings and that with these wings, they can fly. The minister reminds them that they have been created by God to soar like eagles. All the ducks enthusiastically hear the sermon and all agree that it's a great and powerful message. And then they waddle back home. In certain church circles, preachers' conferences are all the rage. Get people together to regularly preach sermons to work out how to preach an even better sermon. These are gatherings of people who claim to be sermon experts. They preach regularly and have a lot of experience. But who really are the sermon experts? The person who preaches the sermon or the person who hears it and responds? 
If a sermon is supposed to change you when you change you, then surely the person who preaches it isn't the expert in how it's received. It's the person who hears it and changes their life in response. I began this sermon by inviting you to reflect on the most memorable sermon that you have ever heard. I talked about sermons that are memorable for the wrong reasons. But what are the right reasons? What was the sermon that changed your life to be more in line with Jesus? For me, I can't remember a specific sermon, but I can remember the memorable person who preached it. His name was John Smith. You might have heard of him. He was a highly gifted communicator and he spoke around the country. I was fortunate enough to hear him preach and speak on a number of occasions. And if you did, I'm sure you'll really remember the experience like I do. John Smith was passionate. He spoke with authority and he often made you feel uncomfortable. Every time I heard John Smith preach, I felt really convicted to do more to live out my Christian faith. Two sermons that finished up having a big impact on me are ones that I didn't even hear preached. The first was by Billy Graham in 1959 in Adelaide. My mum, who didn't have a church background, went along to hear him and in response to Billy Graham's sermon made a Christian commitment that changed the course of her life. At the same time, another sermon took place in Adelaide in an Anglican church where my dad was sitting in the back pew. He was thinking of funny skits for the parish review, which he'd been asked to produce and direct, when an image that was shared in the sermon really impacted on him. The image was that a man wrapped up in himself makes for a very small package. Dad realised that while he went to church, he wasn't really taking his faith very seriously. And because of that image, he started to think about how he could use his life to really serve God. The Sermon on the Mount ends with Jesus seeking to bolster the faith of the disciples. He's urging them to live out their faith. Jesus knew the disciples would find it really challenging. It was challenging back then. It's challenging now. A good sermon is not a lecture. It's rather a stirring halftime address. Your team is down. You're facing a difficult opponent. But as the coach starts to speak, you find your aches and pains start to fade. You start to feel that you can dig a bit deeper, that you can offer a bit more. The game starts to come into focus and you realise what you have to do to improve your efforts. You leave the halftime huddle with the coach's words still ringing in your ears. You're inspired. You're empowered. It's game on. The theme of this sermon is that a really good sermon should change your life. So the best way to conclude and reflect on our Sermon on the Mount series is to think about what change we're going to make. So as we finish, let's spend some time reflecting, bringing before God our lives, asking God to show us what he would have us do in response to this great sermon that Jesus preached.